awesome and mighty. Hallelujah. The Lord is in our midst today. Welcome here at Highland Church and around the world as we gather to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is worthy of all of our praise today. Let us go to him in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence in our lives. And even as we gather in Jamaica, Queens, and online around the world, we pray that, Lord, your presence would dwell among us wherever we may be today, that your spirit would speak to us through the word, and that even as we worship, you would be glorified and that you would inhabit the praises of your people. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would be glorified from start to finish. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Became the foundation for all eternity. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship Him with our hands, with our feet, with our voices, and with our hearts. Look inside the mystery.
You deserve the honor and the glory, Father. We lift your name up today, Father, as we give you praise, God. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, bless you, bless you.
shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Praise.
church and around the world. May the Lord bless you today. Let us turn our attention now to the word of the Lord. Pastor Subash is coming to share the message God has placed upon his heart. From a prisoner of fear to a prisoner of hope. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have again this Lord's Day. For the fact that we can gather in a corporate way collectively to glorify you and to honor you and to say that you are God, eternal, immortal, invisible, Abba, Father, through Christ. We're so grateful, Lord, that we could gather here and to come and uh, think and reflect of your goodness, your greatness, your might, your generosity, and your greatness. We're mindful, O oh God, of your love and the sacrifice of our Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. We come, O oh God, thanking you in worship and in praise. Be with your people, O oh God, that are here and those that are watching. They're going through a hard, difficult time with desperate need, situations that only you could help and avert and change. Lives that are in balance today that need your grace. They stand, O oh God, in need of healing, spirit, soul, body, in Jesus' name. Let the healing reach out to them today. Let needs be met according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And Father, we stand here to proclaim that you are great, that you are good, you are generous, and you are gracious. And we come, O oh God, to think and thank you for all you have done and to worship you in our spirit and to give you thanks. And Father, bless us today with your precious presence, your word. And minister and challenge our hearts today, we pray in Yeshua, Mashiach. In Jesus Christ our Lord, and thank you, Yahweh, our God, our Father. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. 
Once again, what a joy and a privilege as we see more and more people coming back. And thank you, precious people, that you are watching. Can I ask you to take this moment, be a good evangelist, and share this which you're about to hear, and also the presence of God in this time of worship and ministration, even as uh, we minister unto Him, even as God ministers His Word to us. I want you to know that God ministers into your spirit, soul, body, and that you would be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the living, vital power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Today I want to continue on with the book of uh, Zechariah, but in a uh, way that uh, we've just finished the last series. And I want us to turn to what would be the book of Zechariah, and moving into chapter 9, and particularly that three words from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 12. It says here, turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope, even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Remember the book of Isaiah talking about double for your trouble. A little background because you find uh, Zechariah is speaking to two individuals specifically and then collectively to a nation. He's speaking, number one, to Zerubbabel, who's the king or would have been the king of Israel, but he's the governor now appointed by uh, Cyrus, king of Persia. And then he's speaking to the high priest, Yeshua, at that particular time where the building was being rebuilt. And so to these two class of people, and remember I talked about how they do in the New Testament through Christ Jesus is one. In the Old Testament, you cannot be a priest, then you cannot be a king, you cannot be a king, and then you cannot be a priest, vice versa, it cannot be turned around. Each one in his own separate way. But in the New Testament, you find both of the office combined, actually three, the work of prophet and then priest and king found in the person of Jesus Christ. And through Christ, the book of Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 5 talks about that we are kings and princes that Christ has made unto God. So this word comes to us as uh, Zechariah speaking to the people of his time, specifically I mentioned to the two people. And he's speaking to you and me today in this 21st century and to everyone that are hearing and watching this series. This is a time in the life of Israel, during the time of Zechariah, that they have been despondent, they have been disgraced, they have been frightened, they are full of fears within and without. The work that they had embarked on, leaving the great uh, city of Babylon, the great Persian Empire, and to come down to Jerusalem. Remember, this, uh, Zerubbabel was literally born and raised up in Babylon. And so you find his name, Zerubbabel, born in Babylon. And Joshua, these are products there in the 70 years that were th uh, they were there as a punishment because of their disobedience to God. Zechariah 2 is now come together with Haggai to become prophets to encourage the people of Israel. So what had happened to be a glorious work, destiny being fulfilled, suddenly comes to a screeching all because of problems with the people there who had been brought in by Nebuchadnezzar 70 years ago, and they basically had taken over the city and the Samaritans got a mixed of religion of their own plus a little bit of what would be of the people of the land in Israel. 
And they wanted to be part of this building scheme. Of course, uh, they didn't want the people of the Hebrew people didn't want them. So there was a lot of animosity in that pool. And so they waited till Cyrus had died. And then when the time of Darius came, they basically made their delegation and they were empowered to do so. And so Darius comes to a conclusion, this work must come to a halt. And so this work and the enthusiasm of people beginning this work suddenly just ended up. And you can understand deep within their forebodings for their pain, their rejection, their, uh, their fear of what else these people can do. They have such power that they go all the way to uh, the headquarters down in Persia and to be able to stop this work. So you can understand they're dejected, they're despondent, and they're so frightened. And now people begin to build their own homes because they don't want to touch the things of God. And so Haggai is a prophet who's on your face type of prophet. He comes and says in chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, what, what are you doing? This is not the time to build your home. You've come here to build the house of God. It's a time together for corporate worship. No matter what disaster falls, you must not neglect the gathering of the people and the gathering of the worship together as people of God. And so this was a voice that was uh, speak, sp spoken by God the prophet directly. But Zechariah has a series of eight visions. He's expounding to them. He's speaking to them and encouraging them. And when you turn to chapter 9, he's now using a word. He says, earlier, you all are prisoners of fear, prisoners of discouragement, prisoners of despondency. But God is going to make you prisoners of hope. And he's giving you double for all that you have suffered. Am I speaking to someone today? Am I speaking to someone who's going through so much of difficulty, particularly in this situation that we're going through? We're not talking about Persia. We're not talking about the media Persian king called Darius. But we are talking of the kingdom of Satan that has come against so many people by Things like COVID and fear that is within. Fear, what about my future? What about my health? What about my children? What about my job? What about this now new thing called monkeypox? And what else after that? I've never seen people so fearful. I mean, I've never seen Christians so fearful. I'm talking about born-again, spirit-filled, powerful people who went one chase the devil is basically cowed down by a bacteria. Uh, basically, actually, less than that, it's a virus. People are so scared that they're even afraid to come to church. At one time, they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit, but this thing literally took their breath away. And many are being captives. And here are people that are prisoners of fear, prisoners of discouragement, prisoners of despondency. They have lost their life saving. They have lost their job. They have lost their zest to life because things have happened and terrible things have happened. And I'm not blaming people. People can take only so much. This is one thing after another. It's like raining cats and dogs in one shot. So when Zechariah is speaking, he's speaking to Zerubbabel, the man in charge. He's speaking to Joshua, the priest in charge, and he's speaking 
to the last numbers of people who have come out with a call of God, a destiny in their hands, and now they're bewildered. Now they are sitting there despondent, discouraged, and fearful. So this message is saying, God is taking you out of the prison of fear and despondency and discouragement. And he wants to bring you. What a word he uses in verse 12. Prisoners of hope. Not prisoners of hopelessness, but prisoners of hope. So he would give you a double. For all that you have gone through, Maybe my word is coming to you this morning and to you, whoever, whatever time of the day or year that you are watching, the word will never lose its effect. That God is able to take you from that despondency and that dungeon of hopelessness and that prison of fear into being prisoners of hope. Let me remind you this fear can make prisoners out of you. It can shackle you. It can chain you. It can bind you. And the tragic situation is the best of people get bound after having great victory. Right up to the time that even Elijah stood on Mount Carmel. What a great glory! What a courageous prophet! Would to God we have someone like Elijah! One of the most courageous prophets challenging the kingdom of Ahab and his wicked wife and the whole nation that has moved away and the prophets of Baal. He stood there in a mighty, marvelous way on that mountain. Read about it. By the time you come to the next chapter, he becomes a prisoner of hopelessness, a prisoner of fear and despondency to the point he says, Lord, my life is over. And God's final word was, what are you doing here? You have a destiny. You have not completed your work. You're not a prisoner of despondency and fear. I have made you a prisoner of hope. Fulfill your destiny. Don't talk to me about this is the end. Take me home. This word comes to us today in a time such as this. Because it's not just the world, America is in, in fear. But not just America, specifically Christians, who stood emboldened like this great Elijah in chapter 18 of 1 Kings are now in 1 Kings chapter 19, standing in fear. I hope that you read the entire chapter to come to the conclusion, what a prophet. Everyone goes through that situation. No one is free from fear. Satan puts it over and over again. David had a marvelous, great deliverance from fear. In chapter 23 and verse 4, from the valley of the shadow of death, fear. And then by the time you come to chapter 40, in verse 2 and 3, he's taken out of the pit of, free, of, 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 of fear. God takes him out of that pit. But by the time you come to chapter 55 and verse 4 and 5, they're in a pathetic place of fear, trembling with fear. It's 
over and over again. It's persistent. Now, I want you to understand, it is a terrible thing to be a prisoner, and even more terrible to be a prisoner of fear or despondency or discouragement. Some of the greatest mind, and you've seen even in Hollywood some great, great men who made people laugh, and then they committed suicide. It was too much for them. Who knew the troubles they had gone through? Only they would know. It is not the amount of money or fame. In the midst of it, the breast and the greatest trees are fall, fallen down by fear, small or great. And this is something that can make a prisoner of you, even though you may be walking with freedom outwardly, and you can be a zombie, a prison, a prisoner of fear. Literally, there was a man after the Second World War, Sohoya Akua, who basically was a Japanese soldier. And long after the war is over, long after Japanese surrendered, this man was living in fear in Guam. So much so, it didn't last for a few days or a few weeks, or even for a few months, or just for a few years. For 28 years, this Japanese soldier, long after times have changed, Japan has become a friend of the United States, things are moving on, and yet in the jungles of Guam is a man who was a prisoner of fear. He was so afraid of American soldiers. He was so afraid of coming out. He lived on rats. He lived on white, uh, anything that was growing. Farmers saw him once in a while and he hid. And they wondered who he was. Ultimately, they realized he was a Japanese soldier. So they reported it to the Americans, and the Americans sent basically his ex Marine friends, his friends in the former Japanese army, to convince him. He was not convinced. It took a long time until after 28 years, he came out and the world had changed. For 28 years, it was not a bar that enclosed him. He was a prisoner between the two years of his, of his own years, the two sides of his mind. A prisoner, such delusion, such fright, so great of prayer, free and yet a prisoner. And one of the things we must realize is it's a terrible thing to be a prisoner of fear. The greatest and the best and the finest and the strong men, it's not the outward, but inside. People crumble after having great laurels and great contribution and great, great commandos and kudos. Boom, they fall. Fear trips everyone, and discouragement are the two greatest weapons that Satan uses against people. When you think about the people in the Bible, great men, and yet they had to stand up against every obstacle, giants and so forth, and yet they, they had to walk through the shadow of the valley of death, of fear, with God and with the help of God. What you find is people fall fear to many things, but let me just say, that there are fears that are very important. We are born literally with two types of fears which are healthy. And there's 
a lot of things that we come across as we grow up we're afraid of. Not simply that people bring us fear, but we confront certain things and we fall. Our failure becomes a fear later on, and we keep adding those fears. The phobia is so, so large that every day a new vocabulary is added in the midst of fear. This uh, library of fear keeps expanding as people's uh, difference of fears keep enlarging. And some people fall down, not to the greatest, but to the smallest fear. It doesn't matter what your fear is, it may be different from the other person. But fear is fear, it makes prisoners. In fact, not only prisoners, First John chapter 4 and verse 18 says, fear has torments, and only perfect love can cast out that fear that has torment. To be a prisoner which such torment is so horrible. We'll come to that in just a moment. But there are some healthy fears that are important. And that I don't know the word fear is the right word. I would think a word that is a little better would be of. And that must be cultivated in each of one of our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the first ones tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We note those both, the wisdom and the knowledge that comes out of fearing God. And it's so important we understand the opposite end is in Romans chapter 1, chapter 3 and verse 18. There is no fear among them, the fear of God among them. Earlier in chapter 1 tells you a godless generation that have no fear, no love. And these are people, the Bible says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's a negative fear. But the positive fear is to have an awesome of respect for God. A healthy awesome respect for elders the Bible is very clear about that and that brings big difference in parts of the world where they respect elders they make strides even though America has long been among the greatest we are falling because of our disrespect for spiritual authorities for people in schools and colleges teachers and officers nobody is perfect but we must be able to have a healthy respect beginning with God and with our parents and with the leaders and those that God has appointed in the spiritual realm or in the civil. That's important. We need to realize how important this is because that is part of that uh, that is healthy. And there's a sense in which we have a fear which is healthy. A fear or what would be more like all about God and things like that, but a sense of respect, caution, that is important. While crossing the street, we tell our children and we ourselves learn to look on the left side and the right side because we're afraid an accident can take place. Somebody could knock us down, there would be an accident. It's always healthy. This is part of our system that we learn called healthy fears. It would be reckless today with so many people dying and people who basically have an accident even though they were in the car, they mangled totally and uh, literally lifeless. And so it teaches us, wear the safety belt. Here yeah, we're afraid. And that's healthy. 
So whether it's in a plane, whether it's in a boat, wear the safety belt. So wear the helmet when you're cycling. These are things that basically, the fear that is positive, not negative, that's being cautious, that is not the negative fear. But when you talk about negative fear, that has torments. A little thing can create such a torment, such a pain, such fear that limits people from moving. It could be because of some past experiences, it could be some phobia that I was talked about it when they were young and then it became like a boogeyman. They were so afraid, they never outgrow their fear of whatever people have impressed or whatever they have gone through. And they've never forgotten, they've never grown out of that stage of their life where they were stunned and where they were stunned into what happened many, many years ago. I remember going to a place in Elmond where they had asked me to pray for this girl who had never stepped, a young lady now, stepped out of her house for many years for all the experience she had when she was young. She was a prisoner of her own fear, captive in her own house, was afraid of the sun, was afraid of going out. So she would stand right there on this side of the border of her door and watch outside but could not go out. Some sort of fear kept her from that. And it is gradual, it's not all of a sudden. Some people have a sudden deliverance, others take one step at a time, it's gradual. And you find that many people go through some form of fear. She was delivered but it took a while and the day that she was delivered the parents ran off and they uh, sold their house and moved to Florida. And I said it's not about location, it's about the situation in her life. Some people think it's maybe some sort of a thing in her house or maybe it's that area, that's nothing of that sort. They have to, each one have to deal with the, with the phobias that they're going through individually. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But when you look at the numbers of fears, there are several. Some have a fear because of their rejection and it creates a backlash. Many young people, because they were rejected in certain groups and Syria, go into extremities, whether joining a gang, trying to feel accepted, or simply a fear that keeps them out, isolated, and they become very negative, or what would be shy, and, and don't want to reach out to people because of the experience they've gone through. Others, it could be because of the failure they had as a child, or maybe going through life, and Parents or people said, you're a failure, you'll always be a failure, and they never grew up to be able to think of them. They were wonderfully and magnificently created to succeed. They've never known that. And everything they tried has been impeded by fear. They became prisoners of fear, never able to move out. So God wanted boats Zedekiah as well as uh, Zerubbabel as well as Joshua to come out. Though they have been impeded by powerful forces. In spite of the fact they were favored by the Persian king Cyrus, now by the Medio Persian king Darius, they were put aside. And the destiny and their call has come to a halt. And many a great ministries have come to a halt because of this or because of that. Men who have great gifts suddenly come to a sudden halt and they will die with the diamond and the gold and the gift that's embedded within them, never able to crack out of that fear. 
So when you look at so many, you realize there are others who exaggerate. I mean, it could be something little, but they exaggerate it. And they are so afraid. You heard the story of a farmer. Constantly young people, young kids would come in and, and basically ramage through his uh, farm, taking away things, not because they wanted it. They just wanted to destroy stuff. I mean, he had to deal with the vermin. He had to deal with animals. He had to deal with wolves and foxes and crazy stuff. But people with two legs running in, kids, that too. So he was so fed up. So he, one night, the dog started barking. He went out, and sure enough, the kids were cutting up all the things that he'd taken so long time to, to grow. And now in the time when it should be harvested and bringing money, they were being destroyed. So he took a rifle and purposely shot it in the air because, of course, he didn't want to hurt anybody. So one shot, and the kids ran scatter. They ran as fast as they could. They were trembling, and when they came together, they were catching their breath. And each one was telling how terrible. One of them said they almost felt their bullet hit them. They examined themselves and said, no, but I'm sure, I promise you, the bullet hit me. There was another guy who said, you, don't you need to understand how terrible it was. There were two bullets. I saw one running right through me. And the other one, I outran the other one. The power of fear, the power of exaggeration fear. And so people do exaggerate their fear. They're captives of their own fear. Every time they talk, they talk about fear. I mean, have you heard Christians talk about COVID here, yeah, COVID there, COVID everywhere? But when will they talk about God who is in control of every situation? When will they talk about God who is in charge of every situation? COVID is not the king. COVID is not the shepherd. COVID is not the Lord. Jesus is. And there's an almighty who is in control. And there are others who are scared of people. They are bonded to people. They're so frightened that their lives are ordered, so to speak, by the fear of parsonage or by this or by that. And this is a terrible thing. Then there are others who are so afraid. They're afraid of anything that would happen. So they're afraid to even go out and witness the Lord Jesus. They say, you don't understand. Uh, people will persecute me. And of course you would be but not in a manner which they talk about. And yet, I want you to realize, Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, And but if you suffer for righteous sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Don't be afraid. And in chapter 4 and verse 12, he goes on to say, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, or this is part of the life we live, but you can't live your life with fear. Sure, they were in love. A lot of people won't love you talking about the Lord, but you don't talk about things anyway in politics that get people offended anyway. People, some people love cats, and you talk to them about dogs, and some people love dogs, and you talk to them about cats. You offend people. You say you like this brand of coffee. Do you realize people who love this type of coffee don't like? They like McDonald, not Dunkin' Donut coffee. You offended people. And yet you keep talking. Then why don't you talk about the Lord? 
But then there are people who have this, all this, what would be a prognosis, a fear, impending fear. It's always going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. My father died at 43, I'm 42, uh, I might have a heart attack at 43, who knows? They keep talking about it, they keep talking about it, they keep talking about it, they keep talking about it. It never happens, but they keep talking about it. I want you to, two things are very important. They are motivating factors. They are attractive, or they attract the laws of attraction. There's love, and there is hope, and there is faith. These three are greatest. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, verse 13. When you look at the motivating factor, there's a, what is called a magnetism. Magnetism, it pulls. Two things does. One is fear, the other is faith. And then the third one is hope. They attract the laws of attraction. And there's a story about this man he married, and this wife kept telling him, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Make sure the doors are locked. Make sure the windows are locked. Make sure every place around is locked. Because you know what? Thief can come in and steal everything. Now he's older and wiser. And of course, his wife is as old as him. Forty years have passed by. He hears this day in and day out. One day, his wife wakes him up and says, do you hear this, darling? Do you hear this? And he wakes up and says, yeah. There's a rattling downstairs. Yeah, I hear some footsteps downstairs. He says, listen, didn't I tell you? There will be a thief. He's here today. So he goes down, and as he comes down, there's a guy with a 38 special pointing directly at him. Ah, he said, I was expecting you, the man said. Open your safe, give me everything. He already had everything he wanted. So the man took off everything. He pointed a gun at him and said, Listen, I came through the window. Now that you saw me, I'm going through the door. Open the door. And the master of the house said, Do me a favor, sir. Don't leave. I want you to go upstairs. He said, Why should I go upstairs? You have gold there? No, I have my wife upstairs. Why should I see your wife? He said, Sir... For 40 long years, she's been talking about you. You got to meet her. 40 years, she's been expecting you. Don't leave without meeting her. She's been telling me about you every day of those 40 years. Some people have this impending thing. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It may take time, but if we keep talking, 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 it will happen. Didn't I tell you I will have an accident? Yeah. You brought it about. You've been thinking about, dreaming about. You are a captive of fear. What if we have moved it from a prisoner of fear to be the prisoner of hope? It's going to be a great day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. This is the day. Darling, this is the day. This is the day. This is the moment in time. But somebody say, isn't it COVID period? No, this is the time. It doesn't matter what. 
that God is going to move. It's a day of revival. It's a day of great hope. Are you a prisoner of fear or are you a prisoner of hope? What is the motivating factor that moves you or that attracts you to what? Fear or hope? And then people are afraid of death. So afraid of death. But as Christians, we need to realize the Bible says to be absent in body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, my friend, the world is not so attractive when you think about heaven. And if you should die, it's a far better place. Hallelujah. I'm not asking you to leave home today. I'm just telling you that the, when the Lord calls, it's the best place to be. But listen to what... Uh, we find in the Bible when it comes to Hebrews uh, chapter 2, you can read that later in verse chapter 2 and verse 14, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ cracks open the fear of death and the devil. That is what we need to understand. It says that though he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. That is the power of our Savior. That is the power of our God. So we need to recognize the awesomeness of a mighty God, a Father who sent Jesus to die and to set us free from the fear of death and evil. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, the rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Then again, there is what would be a persistent fear. Every one of us, it could happen any day, even though we've had great marvelous victory in the past. You never know when things happen. You never know something strikes. It could always happen. I want us to turn to, uh, to um, Psalm chapter 55. It's uh, what David writes after great victory, even deliverance from fear, but then it comes in another shape, in another form. And when you turn to chapter 55 of the book of Psalms, and in verse uh, 4 and 5, he says, my heart is so afraid within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and the horror hath overwhelmed me. And this fear is because his own very own friend, Ahithalob, who advised him, backstabbed him, turned around into the camp of his enemy, and began to reveal everything. In fact, he says, in, uh, later on in these words, he says, uh, uh, goes on to say, my own friend, he has done this to me. And in verse 21, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but was like in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. I should not have revealed too much to him. He's become a, such a terrible enemy. But then he goes on to say, in verse 22, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast your fear, your care, your difficulty, everything you fear upon the Lord, because my friend, he is the only one that could stick closer than a brother. He is the only true friend that you have that you can reveal your heart to him, and he would never backstab you. And we need to realize people live in constant fear. Because suddenly that person that you trusted turns around and shares this information to others in a wicked way that in the case of David, is, uh, the nation turned against him because they moved with Absalom. 
the son that walked against him. When you look at all of this, I want you to understand, no wonder even some of the great men and saints of God went through so much of uh, turmoil and fear. No one is exempted from fear. You may have an escape, a deliverance, but then he will come, the devil will come in another way, and it's very important we understand we have victory every step of the way so that when the greater fear comes, we know how we have dealt with the small and the medium, and now we're able to face the, the giant of those fears like David did. You know, when you turn to a passage in the book of uh, Haggai, not Haggai, I believe one of the prophets, you find the terrible fear that he has gone through. In fact, he talks about it when you turn to Habakkuk, I believe, chapter 3 and verse 16. Listen to what he says here. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 16. When I heard, look at the fear, my belly trembled. Have you had such fear that you don't even want to eat? Even what you drank just comes out? What he says is, when I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered, at the voice of rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself, and I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Because this man knew, because of the disobedience of the children of Israel, constantly forsaking God and not heeding to his words, what would happen? And when he realized that, he says, oh my God, these guys are coming. God has opened the door. He's removed that hedge of protection. He has been gracious. But we bit his hands. We mocked him. We made fun of him. We joked about him and joked at his face and stuck our fingers saying funny things. People laughed. We were the comedians of yesterday. And now the hedge has been removed. God said, have your way. And this prophet knew what would happen. He trembled. He couldn't eat because he knew the fear becomes a reality. Let me read this. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he runneth up unto the people, he will invade them. 9-11 was a wake-up call. How many more wake-up calls do we need? We play politics. We sing, God be praised, God save America, and yet we laugh at him. The largest played comedians and actors in Hollywood make fun of God. And then in day of trouble, they read a passage from the scriptures. And then they go about the business of making fun of God. This prophet Habakkuk will echo the words of many true prophets when reality strikes home. I want you to realize, my friend, when you think about fears, the Bible is very clear. It doesn't talk it like an abstract. In fact, it addresses what and where it comes from. When you read 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us, and listen to what he says, the spirit of of fear. The spirit of faith is the Holy Spirit. The spirit of fear is the devil's spirit. 
Did you hear what I said? That comes from the devil. It doesn't come from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And when we accommodate the spirits of fear, it takes over and eats. It's like a cancer eating our power, eating our love, and eating our sound mind. We become foolish with the three PhDs behind our name. Foolish, foolish, foolish. Because fear makes the best and the wisest foolish, imbeciles. So this is what happens. In fact, the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 is very clear. What it says is you have not received the spirit of bondage to fear. It is a spirit of bondage that means ah, fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, God. You dare to believe that God, the Almighty, the transcendent God that we cannot have a full understanding of, and yet we can call him Abba. Is it blasphemy? No, my friend. Jesus Christ paid the price. And because of what he did and because we've accepted this awesome fact, we become part of the family of God. We are adopted children. And we cry out Abba, which is so different. And this is in no way losing our respect. Not that trembling fear, but that loving appreciation and what would be all of the Almighty God. And without that fear, oh my God, He's going to strike me. He's the judge that will hit me. We come to Him and say, Abba, Father. Are you in agony of the terror by night? Or are you embraced by the light of a wonderful father that you love and that you know who loves you with all his heart? That even a father who reaches out to the prodigal son when he returns home, embraces him, kisses him, and covers him with his robes of righteousness and gives him the shoe of peace and the ring of authority. How could that be? Because God is a father, loves us, and uh, graced us with his greatness and, and marvelous mercy. That is the awesome God that we serve. But we must never lose respect. Familiarity breeds contempt. You should not become so familiar as to not lose sight of his greatness and his power and who he is, and yet without losing the fact that he is of God and full of love and grace. But with Satan, he brings in the agony of fear, of bondage. That is the spirit that God has not given us. For God has not given you the spirit of fear. And we need to realize this is where it comes from. It comes from the pit of hell. It comes from darkness. It comes from the devil himself. And that is not what God gives to us. 
So in the next couple of things I want to talk about is some important things. There's about 12 of them. I won't be able to have time to finish them all. But suffice it to say, it's very important that we understand that one of the things that we need to understand is there's again the negative and the positives. And don't lose sight of the fact there's a lot of healthy fear which is respectful and cautious fear so it keeps us. Of course in the time of uh, pandemic, in the time of sickness, we need to guard our health and don't say, okay, you know what? It doesn't matter. I can go through the value of, sh uh, of uh, death and not be afraid. We need to put all things that would protect us. But don't live with fear and trembling and say, I've got to lock myself up in the house and where do I can't go out? That is your, your subject to fear. Taking all the precaution, live not with fear, but live with hope. Without discarding that tremendous strength that God has given to be cautious, not so afraid, but cautious, without fear, and yet live in faith in the midst of what people say is hopelessness. For you, this is the day God has made, and this is the day of great hope. You are a prisoner of hope. That is the compelling factor. That is what draws you. That's a very important motivating fact, just as people are drawn by the spirit of fear, you're drawn by the spirit of love and faith and hope. Give the Lord a clap offering. I want to remind you before we close, and I will continue next Sunday, God willing, it's important we understand that we have to recognize it's a spirit we're dealing with, like demonic. So you might say, but you know what? It just jumped on me. Nothing jumps on you. We need to realize that God has made us free. And unless we give in something, they do not come in. You make sure that your house is well protected from serpents, from cobras, from vipers, from pigs and from stray dogs, and from anything that would hurt you. And if you have enough common sense to lock your door, and even you make sure that mosquitoes don't come to your home, even that little things, and yet you open wide the doors of your heart and the doors of your mind for the enemy to put his wicked arrows of thoughts into your mind, and you don't take care, you've taken all the care to protect yourself from mosquitoes, that at the best would give you a bite or two. But yet this thing that puts the fear totally changes and alters your life. And you have no protection. Oh, the devil didn't just come in right away. You opened your door and gave him a welcome mat. Ah, just a little dope. It's no problem. I can handle it. It's just a little social. What is the problem? Cannabis is really medicine. What's the big deal? This is okay. It's going to alter your life. It's going to alter your mind. I'll talk about renewing mind. Unless and until you open yourself, there's no way. And that's why we need to protect. You've done well to protect yourself. Thank God you're not living in a jungle where a lion comes in, but there is a lion willing to prowl and destroy you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober, think 
Don't get all drunk because he's coming to hurt you. And if that's a lion that you don't see, you protect yourself from real lion. But what about this? Be sober, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And if you're sober-minded, you will take all care. You will protect yourself. Then why did the lion enter your house? You gave him a walking mat to walk right over you and dance all over you. And then you say, you know what, I was just walking and doing my business and this thing jumped on me. Jumped on you, really? Yeah, he took possession of me, really? What did you do to bring him in? Oh, just one little sip, one little dope. And then you have someone who's creating such an avalanche of problems to himself and to the entire family. It's like a cyclone that never ends. Satan laughs. It has brought trouble not only in tragedy to his life, but to everyone that loves him, his immediate family. It creates a havoc. It's a cesspool. It's a cyclone. Why didn't that kid stop it in the beginning? Why didn't that man or woman stop it? Cut it in the bud when it started and say, no entrance. And now, taken over a prisoner of fear. So what should we do? There's something we need to realize. You know, it's amazing that the first law is to recognize God has made us free moral agents. I was just walking on the streets and these demons jumped all over me and I'm so totally possessed, I have no mind. I have no mind. What happened to your mind? It's gone. I have no heart, it's gone. Then how are you living? I don't know. How are you thinking? I don't know. Let's just listen to what happens. God made you a free moral agent, everyone. And I'm going to tell you something very important. He never forces himself on you. Excuse me? He never jumps on you. He never invades you. I say sometimes, God, I don't know why you didn't do that. It's a hopeless thing making up my mind and trying. I wish you had just come in. But no, God says, you've got to surrender yourself to me. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you will invite me, I will come in and I will sup with you. Excuse me, he will never violate your liberty. He made you free. Oh, I've been enslaved by Satan. Why did you? How did you? You stop God at your front door and you opened your back door to Satan. You stop God coming into your room, into your classroom, into your mind, into your heart. And then you open the door for Satan to come all over you. You don't understand, Pastor. My child basically is so totally mentally incapacitated. I said, what happened? He was a great kid, intelligent kid. Oh, you don't understand. Let's start all over again. What was he hearing? Oh, you know those rocket acid music? Didn't you stop it? What? Didn't you tell him it's evil? He should have made up his mind not to listen to it. Didn't, he, didn't you tell him it's going to hurt him? It's going to mess up his mind? 
You are loved. The child allowed this to come into him. And now look at the messed up thing. And yet we stop God. We stop the Bible from penetrating our heart and in our mind. And Satan comes in. But I want you to understand this. How then do I resist the spirit of fear? Or any type of spirit that is not from God. The book of James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourself to God. Say that after me. Submit yourself to God. And then say, resist the devil. And listen to what he says. He will flee from you. No entrance. He walks away. Did you hear what he said? The Bible says, resist him. And he will flee from you. Open your door, your heart, your mind. Oh, it's a social thing, you see, my friend. You know, they swore, they blasphemed, they took the Lord's name. I joined. Why? Because you were frightened that they would cut you out. You don't need to be in. You've got to get out of that group. Avoid the godless people. You don't understand. I don't want... Not to be part of it, not to be part of what? A worthless, godless people that has messed up in your life. And look where it got you. Submit yourself to God. Surrender yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Whatever you do, resist him, resist him, resist him. You have the power to resist him. He doesn't knock your head and say, I'm entered. No. Little by little, you let him come in. He one day came near the door. The next day he came a little closer. The next day he's gone into your heart. You see, that's how all sorts of wicked thing comes in. You know, a little thing, no big deal. But by the end of the year, he's already in your bed. It, he just jumped into my bed, really? Yeah. Don't forget, it took a year of enticing. Whether it's a spirit of lies, the spirit of whatever, but if you know the Bible, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But before you resist, you've got to submit, because you cannot do it on your own. You've got to. God's help. You need God. You need someone stronger than you. He's one that's ticket closer than a brother. And then with him by you, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the first law is God made you a free moral agent. You have the power to submit or resist. No one takes over. You see, you don't understand. This little bottle came running. I couldn't resist him. He had these big eyes. And then before you know it, it lifted up and, and just opened my mouth. And I had to drink and I became a drunkard. Really? The bottle just took over you. You don't understand. I have three degrees, but this little thing between my two fingers controls my life. The weeds, the cigarettes, this, the, that, it controls. You mean to say with all your education that controls you? Yep, it is taken over. You're afraid of that thing. Submit to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number two, God loves you. God made you so awesome and wonderful that he loves you so much and this is a very important principle. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Let's go to the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 towards the end. Read this with me towards the end. For he hath said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Isn't this awesome? And yet you say, you know, I heard a shaking. That's the devil. The devil is under my bed. The devil is under my chair. There's behind the plant. That's behind the piano. Excuse me, where is God? He said, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Where did you leave him? That you see devil all around you. With God by your side, you are able to resist him under your chair, under your table, behind this and behind that. Where is God? Have you left God? He said he will never leave you. No, forsake you. And now you got the word of the devil. I'll never leave you, sweetheart. I'll never forsake you. He's stuck next to you. Excuse me, who's the determining factor? You. You rejected God. And your fear of the devil brought him right in. He's everywhere you see. He's over your head. He's under your leg. He's around you. He's everywhere from you. And all you can walk, talk about is... COVID-19, COVID-19, it's 22, and you're still talking about COVID-19, COVID-19. 19 is over, it's 20, 21, 22. COVID-19, haven't you heard? This is just before coming to church. Let me tell you a secret, COVID-19. COVID-19. So you're worshiping the Lord, COVID-19. I love you, Lord, COVID-19. Where is God? Something else in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, towards the end, listen to what he says. He said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Do you want to take a plane to the end of the world? They call it the God-forsaken place. He is still there with you. He will never leave you. 24 hours, 7 days of the week, any time, any day, any place. God is there with you. Hallelujah. One of the biggest important factors is, every time you hear the word, fear not, fear not, fear not, Jacob, fear not, Israel, fear not, my son, this is what comes with it. I am with you, fear not! The moment he says, fear not, he says, I am with you, fear not. So, it's very important we understand another principle before I close. I have 12, I just started with maybe two or three. Number one, God has made you a person of liberty, not to be bound. No one can force you. You give yourself, whether to God or to the devil, it's of your own volition. Number two, God loves you so much that he is with you and always he will never leave you. Number three, there is something I find in the scriptures that the name of the Lord, and why do I say this? Because this is very important. Every time you face 
anybody or anything, maybe bigger or greater, it is a matter of whose you belong, not about you. Let me put it in a natural way. If you are going on the street and you're driving and suddenly the cop puts his hand and says, stop, you have evaluated the cop. He's thin, he's short, he's simple. You're smart, you will put a brake on your car. Do you know why? You may be tall, you may be strong, you've got three, four degrees, but the fact of the matter is, my friend, that police officer has the United States behind him. He's got the court behind him. And if you want to fight, you have to pay mighty big dollars. Use your common sense. You're fighting someone bigger and greater than you. Even though some can go wrong, a healthy respect is always good. Yes, officer. Thank you, officer. Yes, I'm sorry, officer. What does it do? It saves you a lot of trouble. Why? Respect. What I mean is there's power behind you. Let me put it this way. If you can understand the power of the name of the Lord, you got it. Did you, did you, did you hear it? Every time I find in the Bible when they had to evict or throw out Satan or the powers of demons, the Bible tells you the narratives of every incident. They use the name of Jesus. I want you to understand it begins not just in the Old Testament, it goes all the way to the last book of the Bible. What is so amazing, even in the second last book of the Bible, Jude, there is uh, Satan, Lucifer, and there's another archangel, same status like Lucifer before the fall, and yet when Michael contending for the body of Moses, didn't have to scream, didn't have to shout. What Michael did, Archangel Michael, he said, the Lord, the Lord rebuke you. You hear what it says? That is it. Yahweh rebuke you. What is so interesting is every time you find, here's the damsel in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, this is bring, bringing money to corrupt people. She is abused mentally, physically, sexually, and she is used like a toy to bring money to people. And Peter, Paul, finally had enough of it and said to her, in the name of Jesus, I adjure you, get out of her. Boom. Why the name of the Lord? There's something very important in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 45. Israel is standing and trembling, including the king who stood head over shoulders above every one of his men, suddenly found himself shorter than Goliath. He was a humongous man, nine feet. But here comes a lad, 12 years old. And he said, I can tackle this guy. And the king says, I mean, you're but a kid. He is a massive man, armored, totally armed, with the latest arsenal, and he's a man of war. Who are you? He says, not who am I, whose I belong. And when you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 45, look at this giant of a man coming with all that power. And what does Samuel say? It's not about himself. He says, to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, 
You come to me with a spear. You come with a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And God whom you despised. You are dead meat, Goliath. You are no match. Everyone would have said this. This is unfair, totally unfair. David is finished. No, 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 no. It's totally unfair. Goliath is finished. Look who's behind Goliath, Satan. Look who's behind David, the one who made everything, including Satan. He's the stronger than anybody that you know. Do not do it alone. Listen to what Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7 says. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it, and they are safe. Just where you are, no matter what you're going through. I just started with just a few principles. But whatever you're going through, evict that fear. It has no place in your life. You have the key. Evict that spirit of fear because God is with you no matter where you are. Evict that fear because you come and resist the spirit of fear, despondency and discouragement because you are saying in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how weak you are. But it matters who is behind you. The Lord said he will never leave you. I'm going to ask you today, are you a prisoner of fear or are you a prisoner of hope the ball is in your court it's your decision stand for the Lord or stand without the Lord and be a prisoner of fear father bless your people today that they would be prisoners of hope faith and love and let them be as free not under anyone but you in Jesus name Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shout. Are you a prisoner of hope today? Come on, bless his wonderful name. Hallelujah. I've been so encouraged today by the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to have a time of worship and song in just a moment, but right now we are going to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. We trust the Lord today to supply our every need. Amen. We want to obey his word. Hallelujah. And we want to affirm our faith in him today in a tangible way. If you are watching us today, there are several ways you can support the ministry of Highland Church. You can mail your donation to the church office at 160-20 Highland Avenue, Jamaica, New York, 11432. If you're watching us on Facebook, click the Learn More button. If you're on YouTube, click the About button. And if you're on our website, click the Give button. You may also text to give by texting Highland Giving and any amount to 73256. Highland Giving and any amount to 73256. We thank you for your faithful and your generous support because it enables the word of the Lord to go forth here in Jamaica, Queens, and around the world. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word that dwells richly in us today. We thank you, O oh Lord, for this opportunity to sow in your kingdom. We pray that you would bless every gift and every giver, that these offerings would be multiplied for the good and purpose of your kingdom. 
that every need would be supplied, that you would bless every gift and every giver. And Father, just rebound a blessing to each one in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. You may come at this time.
Come on, every praise. Give the Lord a shout wherever you are today. He is worthy of every praise. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How many know the Lord is a miracle worker? deliverer, a mighty king. You're the same God today and the same God tomorrow. Help me see
know, the Lord has taught us, amen, that we need fear no one but him. Amen. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So let the mind of Christ be in you today. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord.
child, hallelujah. We're called to be prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner of hope, but not a prisoner of the spirit of fear. We're called to respect with an awesome respect for God, a respect that God commands for the elders and those in authority. But also we are called to be fully aware that we need to be careful while recognizing we have no fear, the spirit of fear, we must be cautious. By all means, come out. By all means, join. By all means, go back to work. But take precaution. Not for fear, but a healthy respect to keep ourselves from any entangled with virus or anything. The Bible tells us what Peter says to be sober because Satan uses everything as a lion. Two things he does to devour us. Number one, stealth. In a time least expected, he comes slowly. Number two, the roar to frighten us. We reject and we expel every spirit of fear while taking precaution and recognizing that we're not a prisoner of fear. We should not, but we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, and we must be prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner of hope, love, and faith. I'm so glad that you were with us, precious people that are watching. Share this, if you will. In this time of worship, it's a great, awesome responsibility to be an evangelist. And tell your friends about this. To those here, thank you so very much, precious people, to come again and again. I'm going to just give three words after closing. That's very vital and important. Bless your people today, and we join together, Father, to give glory and honor. If there be anyone, O oh God, being captive of Satan, the spirit of fear, delusion, or even, O oh God, deception, and even, O oh God, anxiety and, and total hopelessness, set them free in the name of the Lord Jesus, that they would be able, Father, to be that person that you're called to be without succumbing and falling down at everything that passes their way. But we join together, give you glory and honor and praise, thanking you, praising you, adoring you, Father Abba, in the name of Yeshua, Messiah, our Lord, to you be glory, honor, and praise. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering.